Hi, everyone. My name is John Bay. I am the CEO of Standard Uranium. Today, I'm sitting beside Sean Hilliker, our VP of Exploration. We are uh, a Canadian junior uranium exploration company focused in the Athabasca Basin, where we have five projects. And today, we're going to give you the technical details of those projects. So here we are today. We're on a bit of a tour right now, marketing and attending some conferences. So we're a bit more casual today, but we'd love to uh, share our story with you. So back to you. Let's just get into Standard Uranium. John, Sean, nice to meet you. Um... Thank you for the introduction, John. That's um, that's that's great. Um, you're, you're you're right next to each other, uh, presumably you're in a hotel room. I wonder if um, this kind of this is a saving on the corporate DNA. Perhaps you're rooming together as well, or maybe the the company stretches to two rooms. <laughs> that's right. We have bunk beds everywhere we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, um, as my old boss used to say, it's the team that shouts together is the team that stays together. Um, okay. Standard uranium. Um, you know, the uranium market's been a really difficult space for the last uh, six months. I mean, it had a golden 18 months before that, and all the valuations um, mm-hmm. kind of soared. Um, you've just finished your winter drilling program at, uh, Sun, um, at Sundog. Probably safe to say that wasn't kind of the results you were most expecting or hoping for, but that is the nature of pre-discovery exploration, isn't it, Sean? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, that was our very first program that we've done on the project. It hasn't been drilled in about 14 years. Um, So it was very, you know, reconnaissance scale program, very short time window to get up there and get some drilling done. Uh, We learned a lot. We saw some fantastic rock types. And, uh, you know, despite that big discovery, like you said, Merlin, I mean, the rocks we're seeing, the structures and all the technical success we had and what we're seeing that we're really excited about. So we can't wait to get back up there. Yeah, and I'll jump in there too, Merlin. I mean, I think I think the market uh, maybe had higher expectations of what they were hoping that we were going to find. And every time it seems uh, that we put out a you know results from a, from a drill program, people are expecting a high grade discovery. And I think as our geologists know, and as most people that understand the space, making a high grade discovery is not an easy task. So uh, what we accomplished on our first drill program at Sundog was actually pretty good. We we're pretty happy with it, and we're looking forward to going back and doubling the size of it. And we've got the logistics all figured out, all our vendors, everything's looking really good for uh, the targets we've identified for our next drill program. So we're not unhappy with it. We just, uh, you know, we're, 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 we're thinking it's, it's pretty good. I mean, I, I goodness, I know I've been involved in exploration for 28, 29 years. Um, it's it's a really really tough slog. It requires um, efficiency, the right geology, being in the right place, and a good deal of luck as well. Um, you know, the luck has to, to, to play a role in there. Um, <clears throat> when you, um, John, when you say that you're kind of planning to get back in there, is that for another winter program? Does that mean that um, for, for the for the summer you're going to focus on your um, uh, your, your marketing materials described as the flagship project, um, uh, Davidson River down in the southwest? That is correct. So we actually have five projects and we'll get to those in a bit, but our flagship is our Davidson River and we actually are getting back there to do our fourth drill program starting in about three weeks. Actually, mid-May will be, uh, everyone will be mobilizing. We'll get back to that project and we're super excited to be drilling that one. As far as Sundog goes, uh, yes, we'll be drilling that one. The next plan to drill that one will be again next winter when the, uh, it's up in the far, far north of the Athabasca Basin region on Lake Athabasca. So for us to save costs, we wait for that lake to freeze over and the government opens up ice roads and then we can drive everything in, set up the camp and run that camp for about five weeks. So it's a short window. Uh, this year we did a, you know, a really small program to test everything out. Now we've got the logistics figure out. Next year we'll bring up double the amount of a Drill, drillers and drill equipment and hit it a bit harder. So that's exciting for our shareholders for next next winter season. And th- that short winter season, is that a function of um, climatic conditions? So global warming, in a sense, or climate change, 
um, actually reduces the window of, of kind of um, safe um, ice cover. Is that, is that correct? Uh, I wouldn't think so yet. I mean, the ice, the ice we're drilling on is, you know, seven, eight, nine feet thick. Uh, I think it's, it's been pretty standard for the timelines for forever of how long that lake is uh, frozen and what your window is there. Okay. And um, Sean, what's the... Um, What's your background? What's kind of what's your approach to targeting on on these um, on these various prospects? Have, were you involved in the selection area of, of the, the five project areas, or um, have you joined the team later um, with the selection already done? Yep, I mean the company was built around Davidson River to start with. Um, that was before that I came over. I uh, my background is all in uranium in the Athabasca Basin. I cut my teeth in the space and the industry at Next Gen Energy. So the southwest corner is my stomping grounds. Um, I worked in NextGen for five years, did my master's uh, in uh, structural and economic geology on the aero deposit. Um, so I've seen all these rocks a lot before, um, you know, involved in the exploration process there, part of the team that took aero from discovery through to feasibility. So, I mean, that, that experience for me was invaluable to really grow my knowledge as, as an exploration geologist in, in this area of the world. Um, so, you know, obviously we're always looking to expand our portfolio. You know, we've been talking to other companies, looking at JV opportunities, other project acquisition. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a hot space right now. There's a lot of land staked up in the basin. Um, but, you know, the five projects we have are all very exciting for that geological and targeting aspect. I know you've, um, so you've got the East Basin project. You've got three projects in the East Basin. Are you going to be doing a drill program there this year? Uh, no, so we've got uh, those projects are ready for us to go up and do geophysics. So we have geophysics programs lined up for later this year. And the goal is to have that completed and have our uh, all our permits and applications and First Nations agreements in place to begin a drill program in early 2023. Yeah, so we're getting them drilled right now. There's a little bit of historical geophysics on the properties, but we want to come in with some uh, higher resolution surveys and really make sure we can overlay that and pick our targets wisely. And is 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 the um, I, I see down in the south you've done um, um, VTEM uh, and EM. Um, yep. Is that the same method that you're going to be using up in the in the east? Yep, exactly. So that's kind of the exploration thesis across the board in the basin. You know, we're looking for that high grade Athabasca style uranium. Um, VTEM, ZTEM, or whatever electromagnetic survey you choose is kind of the starting point for all of the, all of the companies up there. Um, if we're going to find a uranium deposit in this part of the world, it's going to be associated with conductors, reactivated graphitic rock packages, uh, structural corridors in the basement rocks, and they come up and cross-cut the Athabasca sandstones as well. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, the starting point to define those exploration corridors. And then we overlay different geophysics, gravity, resistivity, um, to name a couple, and where all of those kind of ingredients line up, that's uh, that's how we pick our targets and prioritize those. Could you, you've got a, you've got a really nice, uh, I've written it down here, that you, uh, slide 14 on your corporate deck. I, um, it, uh, you've titled it the Clearwater Domain uh, Mirror Theory, which I um, took me a while to work it out as I was looking at the, the, um, the picture. But um, uh, Clearwater Domain is the kind of intrusive, driver the hydrothermal heat source i take it and the mirror theory is that um just I, I, it looked as if there was a kind of an anticline or kind of edge of basin feature um yeah. uh in plan view and so what you're saying 
I inferred was that uh, the geology that you see on the east, which is Arrow and Triple R, um, is mirrored in theory on the west. Exactly. Can you see that screen now, Merlin? Yes, I can. Thank you. Yeah, all good. Yeah, so, so that's exactly it. Um, you know, it's there's a large regional scale fold structure coming through here. Uh, you can see all the those conductors and those exploration corridors, uh, the dark blue lines here. Like I said, you know, that's where the uranium is going to be focused. And, you know, those are the fluid highways, so to speak, where those uranium bearing fluids will come in, interact with the reducing graphite or sulfides um, and drop out of deposits. So you can see that Arrow sits there with Triple R and Spitfire along the Patterson Lake Corridor. And those are actually folded up around and through to the Northwest right through our project. And then there's another discovery north along strike called Smart Lake uh, of the same conductor, one of the conductors that comes down through Davidson River. So we know there's uranium endowment on the Eastern fold limb over here. And we expect to see the same thing on the West side. Is that a, um, so, so the, the, the Patterson Lake corridor, that's a, is that a structural corridor? So what you're effectively showing me is that the, 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 the package has been folded post-deformation. Uh, yep. And there's, well, it's, some of it's concurrent with the deformation as well. These are really long-lived, deep-seated structures. Um, they've been reactivated several times. You can see it in the rocks and the core. Um, like I said, I did my master's on the structural geology of Arrow. That was the kind of the meat and potatoes of the thesis. Um, so that's, you know, a really important driving factor and controlling factor on the mineralization in this part of the world. So Arrow is completely structurally hosted. It's all in the basement rocks. And that's what we're trying to find on Davidson River. So recreate what NextGen did, um, you know, from 2014 through to today. And just on that image on the right there, you've got underneath A prime, you've got the, the, the word present day erosional surface. Does that refer to the yellow line above it or the dashed line below it? The dashed line there. So that's that's actually just showing it's a cross section through there, right? So that's the Athabasca sandstone. And what we see now today, um, the Athabasca basin is an erosional remnant. Uh, of, of this basin. So we actually, all of that Athabasca sandstone has been eroded. So we, Davidson River actually sits just outside the current edge of the basin that we see today. So Arrow does have a little bit of Athabasca sandstone on top of it, but we don't have that over at Davidson. Okay. Okay. I thought, I thought that's what I um, saw. Um, yeah. So the saint structure there that looks as if it's kind of right on the edge of the kind of the, the basin and then it looks as if warrior bronco and thunderbird are all those structural corridors are all in theory exposed although you may have glacial tilt sitting on 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 top yeah they are covered by a little bit of devonian sandstones and then glacial overburden as well yeah so our, so, our depth to basement ranges on the project from about 50 meters up to 220 so it's actually, there's a surprising amount of topography on the project for Saskatchewan. There's lots of, you know, eskers and river valleys and that kind of thing. So depending yeah. on where your drill hole is, you can be down in the valley. Obviously, you have a lot less of that overburden to deal with. Um, or if you're up on a hill, then then you got to get through that as well. Okay, good. Um, but you, you don't have the Athabasca Supergroup sandstones in in. Uh, in, in any meaningful quantity. Um, good. Does that mean that the geophysics um, 
can look through the the sedimentary package better? Do you have better vision and um, resolution on the work that you've seen so far on these structures? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it's it's pretty consistent across. Like you know, there's quite a few companies that are staking land just outside of the basin now. Um, the surveys are you know pretty much the same. It's depending on which survey you do. You know, the depth of investigation varies, um, but it's not any significant you know, masking effect or, you know, better or worse kind of inside or outside the basin. Just, you just tailor your surveys to what you want to see and how deep you want to look. You get the, there's a, you've got another slide, which is kind of more zoomed in on your, um, on your targets. Um, this one here. Yeah, that's the one. Mm -hmm. So those are your four trends. And I see you got the saint trend, which looks like a, a, a little one. Mm -hmm. um, when you say little, it's still about uh, six kilometers, five or six kilometers in length. So these are these are massive uh, corridors on a very large land package. So as you as you know, Merlin, a drill hole is three inches and wide, and you're drilling these things that are a couple of kilometers long. So these are quite quite lengthy corridors. Lots of blue sky of drilling drilling to do here. Okay, and remind me. What, what's what's your kind of drill meterage that you're looking to put into this um, uh, this corner of the basin? I mean, it's, uh, the scale of these things are always huge. But um, you know, what, what, what are you what, what are you planning to do? What would you like to do here? Well, that's a great question. So Sean and I were just talking the other day about the amount of drill targets we now have defined. First of all, we've got uh, we've got 30 drill holes into this this area so far, and what we've got identified is I think Sean was mentioning about 125 different targets we'd like to drill over the next next number of years. Now, um, you know, a typical drill program can be somewhere between 10 to 20 drill holes, depending on on the amount of money and the amount of drillers you go at it. So this summer we're going to go up to uh, start drilling again, and we anticipate. Uh, would love to get uh, you know at least five at least five thousand meters drilling in, and the depths of these holes are typically between three fifty to four hundred and fifty meters, depending on you know the topography what we're drilling into. So just just I mean, let's say you've got one hundred and twenty five targets. You've got um, let's call it you've got twelve and a half holes. That's uh, that's that's one hole for for ten percent of your targets, or you choose your top five percent of your targets. And you put two holes in. I mean, um, you know, you've got a you've got a kind of an asset allocation challenge here, don't you? So um, let, let's just talk about your top five targets. You know, how how do you select those? Sure, great question. I'll let Sean take that. Yeah, so we uh, we do everything in three D um, now. All of our drill targeting, modeling. You know, as geologists in in this day and age, we're really fortunate to have all the all these tools at our fingertips that we can use to help us point drill in the right spots um so like i was saying you know where all all of these ingredients kind of line up geophysically these are blind deposits um there's not you know exposure at surface so we need to get out there and we need to drill that's how we're going to find something so we plan everything in 3d um and you know like you said we <laughs> it's a little bit of a challenge to prioritize but uh like we there's so much runway on this project that we want to drill we just love to get up there and just continue drilling forever um, obviously things change on the fly too. So we prioritize everything. We target everything in 3d and then we go through and pick, like you said, like our, our top 5% of those targets. And that's what we go. And that's what we go drill first. We want to expedite a discovery on the, on the project, obviously. And then, you know, depending on what we're seeing as we drill, we can easily 
you know, adjust those targets, plan new holes, follow up holes immediately. If we get into something interesting, then, you know, we'll keep drilling, we'll drill up dip, down dip, um, step along strike. Um, and we can kind of readjust and, and follow up on what we're seeing live, so to speak, in the field while we're up there. So it's pretty, it's pretty slick. On, on those four structures, have you, is, is there one that's jumping out with um, better indicators? Um, what was the, yeah. uh, I, I don't want to oversimplify the kind of arrow deposit, but since you worked there, whether, you know, what are the, what are the key features that you really look for? What are the hooks that you, you think, ah, you know, that, 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 that was a, um, uh, a, a, an indication of something critical. Yeah, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly it, right? So I've, like I said, I've seen these rocks. I know what to look for. Um, I've spent, like, cut my teeth and spent my entire career looking for this stuff and right across the street. So that was what we wanted to immediately start to prove out with that mirror theory is, are we seeing the same basement rock types and formations on our project? Are we seeing the same structures? Are they reactivated? Are they graphitic? you know, kind of checking all these boxes and looking for the smoke to the proverbial fire we're looking for. So that's exactly what we're doing. We're seeing same basement rocks. We're in the same domain, the Tulsa domain down there. And uh, the biggest thing that we want to see is the structure and the alteration. So we haven't got into, you know, we, we know what we want to see um, as far as like massive clay alteration, dravite. There's a lot of very specific ones that we're looking for. But the, the major thing is, is these reactivated graphitic structures um, and sulfitic structures as well. And, and that's what we're seeing. So we're seeing these stacked uh, reactivated shear zones in the basement rocks, steeply dipping. Um, and you can, just looking at them, they're full of graphite. Um, it's been remobilized and there's lots of brecciation and, and brittle faulting, semi-brittle semi faulting as well, overprinting those ductile structures. So that's that's what we're looking for is where these things have been reactivated and opened up for fluid flow. So we're seeing. Uh, and some, it, yeah. is, is it, um, do you, do you, are you looking for uh, kind of a, a, the thickness? Is, is, is that a key thing is that, that you've got lots and lots of um, vein density over a wide area, or do you look for actually a compression, um, not a compression, but a concentration of veining uh, an alteration in a, in a narrower zone, you know, what's, what what gets you thinking oh that's that's the good bit is, is it lots of veining over dispersed difference which kind of kind of shows you kind of you've got i don't know dilational kind of um, space creation or is it intensity concentration of fluid flow that would en enable enrichment over time in one um contained space yeah a bit of both i mean it's that's what we look for we look for that damage zone like you kind of described there so that's what we really like to see and that's what we you know, that's what we saw at Arrow, right? When you start drilling into the basement rocks, you can't really tell that you're close to something. And then you start to get a little deeper and you start to get into that damage zone where you see an increase of fault gouge, clay alteration, veining, like you said, uh, you know, quartz veins coming in and opening up. And then you start to really get into these larger structures that are several meters thick. So the shear zones themselves are, you know, in the on the scale of between one to maybe 10 meters thick um and then we also do oriented drill core as well so we can plot up the structures in 3d see which way things are going to follow up and understand the system better and uh so we you know over at arrow we'd pop through you know three or four of these different shear zones all kind of stacked and dipping the same way and that's what we want to see so we're seeing that you know southeast bronco looks super good 
have some rock photos in our in our presentation there of those graphitic structures that have been reactivated that we saw at Bronco last summer. Really excited to go back and follow up on that. And then uh, Santa Ma Southeast Warrior. And then Thunderbird hasn't even been touched yet. We haven't even seen the basement rocks there yet. So really excited to, to go see what that corridor holds as well because it's super conductive and it's like 20 kilometers long. So if you, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of just throwing out numbers. If you've got a, um, a five, say a 5,000 meter drill program this this year, is, is that kind of the, the order of magnitude that you're looking at, John? Is, is, is that... Um, 10 to 20 holes at 400 meters. Yeah, that's, we're, we'd like to, uh, you know, be conservative in the numbers we're going to put out. We've typically, uh, the last two programs, we've, we've put out numbers and we haven't hit those and we've been sort of smacked by the market for that. So, look, we understand, uh, we, we can understand investors, you know, wanting to see us get more and more meters and uh, we're going to do that. This year, we've got a, a drill company called uh, called Base and they are actually, uh, they've actually worked in this region before. They actually... Uh, their head guy, Brady Stokes, was with aggressive drilling, and Sean's worked with him at NextGen for many years. And the, the ground that we're drilling in this region is extremely technical and difficult to drill. So having competent drillers is uh, is crucial. And we know we're very confident with the drillers we have working with us this summer. And we're really excited to get them to site and get them drilling the way they proved themselves beautifully up at Sundog. They're going to come down to Davids River, and we're going to drill. We'd love to get. We'll start with five thousand meters, and we'll see how see how things go. If we get into something really exciting, we know the market's going to react to that, and we'll be able to uh, continue and really push it from there. And the, the the ground is technical because of the fault gouges, because of the the shearing and the and the the, the clay alteration. Is that you can very? It's very friable. It is. Yep. Yeah. I mean, the basement rocks are pretty straightforward to drill. Um, you know, you do really get those rheology contrasts. You go through really you know really hard quartz rich rocks in the in the wall rocks and then once you get into those structures and with the graphite and the clay it's a lot softer obviously but the, the main challenge with drilling there is actually casing the drill hole through that unconsolidated overburden right yeah. so that's where things get a bit dodgy if you don't have the finesse on the sticks to really you know get through that successfully so you know we ran into a bit of trouble with some guys last summer that uh that just hadn't done it before right so we know that, like like John said, we we have a lot of the guys that have actually done it for years in this part of the world. So we're really confident that they're going to be able to come up and get it done effectively uh, for us. So that's that's the main challenge in this area is where you have you know 100 or 200 meters of of this overburden and sandstones you need to get through before uh, before we get to the basement that we're interested in. So did you not drill what you wanted to drill last year? We we curtailed in your in your in your drill meters. We were actually, we had uh, our drill company had several issues, one of them being inexperienced in that region and they lost several holes. And the other one was they didn't have enough manpower. They thought they had enough drillers to work with us. And then as the program went on, they, they lost bodies and they couldn't, they couldn't keep us with enough uh, drillers to keep the program going. So it really uh, hampered our, our drilling execution last year. And it was extremely frustrating for, for me as a CEO and for all our geologists who were, who were stuck, uh, waiting for drillers to show up to do the work. So this, you know, you can imagine the, the, the amount of uh, staffing issues that companies are facing just because of huge demand for drill companies. It just, it's, uh, it was terrible last year. This year we've got this, this worked out and we're, uh, we're really happy with the crew that's working with us and we can't wait to be up there and, and really show the investment world that we actually do know what we're doing and we've got a great drill company and we're going to crush, crush the summer. Yeah. That being said, um, I just want to say like, you know, despite the, the, technical challenges of just getting holes done the results and technical success we had last summer were the best so we've seen the best looking structures 
um, and drilled some of the best holes that we've seen so far to date on the project. So despite not getting, you know, the amount of meters we wanted to last summer, the, the rock packages and structures we were seeing and the technical successes of the holes we did complete uh, have us all really excited. And so, you know, best technical success so far on the project. So could you just pop up that um, the, the, the four trends again, please, that, that one slide. And just um, could you, uh, with, with your mice, with your mice, with your mouse, um, show me where the most of the drilling has gone and where you're going to be. So the historic drilling to date, I mean, how many meters do you think have gone into these four trends so far? Great question. Yeah, so here's this map here actually shows all the drill holes. So the okay. first program we concentrated on Warrior, uh, some yeah. of our highest priority targets in here. And then yeah. we've since uh, in our second program, we completed more on Warrior, uh, some follow-up holes, first hole on Saint. And then last summer we drilled more on Saint, more on Warrior and Bronco for the first time. Uh, like I said, Thunderbird's been un untouched. There is a hole here, but uh, unfortunately that one was, uh, was lost before we got to our basement rocks. So we still don't know what that looks like here. So we're really excited to get up here. Um, and so some of these, Merlin, this, like these structures here was what I was talking about. So you can see all these dark colored ones here. They're pumped full of remobilized graphite. Uh, you can see the clay alteration here, the hematite, um, and just how these how these shear zones are reactivated. You got some graphitic gouge in here, you know, quartz brecciation, cross-cutting that uh, ductile shear zone. So really interesting structural geology happening here. And these are the rocks that we're going to find uranium associated with in, in this part of the area. So this is what we're really looking for. And like I was saying, this is some of the best looking rocks that we've seen so far. And we drilled these last summer. So they're you just go, so, so in, on, on, on there, um, sorry, on the, on the map, on the plan view, um, oh, yeah. I can see two holes, one in the middle of Bronco and the, and the one in the, on Thunderbird, which don't seem to have been drilled on coincident anomalies. It's just kind of, um, they're just in the conductive cor corridor. They haven't gone for the, um, you know, a lot of your drilling is, it seems to be on co coincident anomalies, but those two yeah. don't, the one in um, uh, Thunderbird and the central one on that one, yeah. Yeah. Bronco. Yeah, so this, you know, this is a stylized map for the presentation. So there's some fine details in here that you can't really see. Um, but there's cross-cutting faults here uh, coming through, going north, uh, northeast, southwest, that cross-cut the, uh, the corridors themselves, which is something we're looking for. Um, and so there actually is coincident anomalies here. Uh, you just, this map just doesn't show it that well. So I'll have to... Uh, so Take um, a note of that and tune it up. <laughs> no, 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 no. It wasn't. A, it was just my idle curiosity, yeah. um, um, rather than an implicit criticism not at all. But um, could you just show me where you've got the best results on this on this map? You know, where 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 are the most exciting areas? You said southwest Bronco, southeast, southeast, Bronco south, southeast. Yeah, these three holes were some of the best holes that we've drilled so far. Uh, this hole actually down on Warrior here. Uh, super interesting as well. Really good structure and some alteration. That's uh, some of the pictures in there as well. Um, and then, yeah, Thunderbird's been untouched. So kind of down in, in this area, well, every hole on Bronco has been exciting. Um, and then, yeah, down in kind of Southeast Warrior as well. Um, some hot pegmatites up here on Saint as well. And 
like these holes look like they're close together, but again, look at the scale bar, like they're yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. About, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, there's so much to test even in between, you know, kind of where these holes are. So a lot of these holes are, you know, 500 meters to a kilometer uh, step outs along stripes. So really aggressive to test those coincident anomalies first, see what we find, and then and then kind of infill from there and uh, and follow up from there as well. Looking at the geochemistry that we model in 3D as well, where are we seeing anomalies? Like there's a, for example, there's a big boron anomaly in the hanging wall of warrior, which is really interesting. Boron is a pretty, uh, you know, it's a, a pathfinder element for uranium that's used quite a bit. Um, so things like that, that help us target and point us in the right direction. Thank you very much. Um, could you drop the, the, the yep. screen again? Um, so, so far you've got all the indications of structure. You've got the graphitic shales, you've got the stacked um, uh, shear zones. What, um, what amount of uranium over what kind of um, uh, widths would you say um, would, would get the champagne um, um, bottle opened? Yeah. Well, you know, what, what thickness do you call up the directors and say, come on, you've all got to get down to site because this is serious? Yeah, good question. I mean, it's, uh, we're looking for the next Arrow deposit, right? We want to find something that's world-class tier one deposit like Arrow. Um, when we first started getting into Arrow, you know, we, you know, elevated radioactivity over several meters, you know, we kind of clipped the edge of it um, to start. And then once we've kind of kept stepping out along strike and we eventually found the high grade cores, that's, you know, that's where the champagne really gets cracking for sure. Um, so, you know, that's what we'd love to see is, you know, high grade uranium. That's as soon as we get into some high grade stuff, you know, forward looking statement, of course um that's when that's when we get really excited so you know we we want to see elevated radioactivity in concentrated in the structures that's the main thing associated with the alteration um so we're going to be we're going to be really happy and excited as soon as we get into you know anything of notable thickness over a couple of meters or you know tens of meters would be fantastic right so and, and what, what, what do you mean by elevated radioactivity do you do you yes. think in ppm or cps or cps um, it's, uh, we also have gamma probe we put down the hole after every hole is completed and there's some calculations you can do that give you equivalent grade so it gives us a really you know that's a nice thing about uranium is you know you don't need to wait for the assay lab necessarily yeah. you've you got a pretty good idea if you're into something exciting before you get the results back even um, so yeah elevated radioactivity that I'm talking about is in counts per second when we're in the field we get the drill core from the drill into the shack and we run our centimeter over it. And, you know, that thing starts screaming and we start jumping up and down. That's when you say screaming, is that meaning it's kind of 500 CPS counts per second or, yeah, or... I mean, anything over 300 counts per second is, you know, typically what exploration companies in the basin will, will call elevated. So, you know, background radioactivity ranges from like 50 to maybe 120, that kind of thing. So kind of double background. Um, we call anything over 300 counts per second uh, elevated or, you know, of interest. So yeah. if we're into the thousands or even we, you hear the term off scale, uh, you know, in the tens of thousands. Um, and then the centilometer max is out at 65,535. 
Um, so that we, there's a lot of that stuff, you know, that's what we saw at Arrow uh, in the high grade cores. That's uh, that would be, you know, fantastic. So for, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in reference to like at surface at Sundog, we're seeing, you know, on the centilometer, 30,000, 50,000 counts right at surface. Um, that's what we want to see in the drill core at Davidson too. And um, is there a straight line relation between CPS and PPM? Um, parts per million, no. count, counts per second and, and, no, and parts per million. It's like I said, it can give you a good idea. There's like some, you know, back of the napkin calculations you can kind of do to kind of guess, but we never, you know, we don't want to guess. Obviously we will take it to the lab and we'll wait to, we can release counts per second or, uh, you know, the gamma, gamma profiles from the drill holes. Um, that's all, you know, legitimate and worth getting excited over. Um, but there's no straight across calculation where it's like, okay, it's 5,000 counts per second. That means it's this great. But um, all, presumably all the Athabasca Basin companies, all the, all your peer um, group will read each other's news releases. And when you, when they see CPS is above 300, above 500 into the thousands, they all go up, ah, they're onto something. Exactly. Yeah. So like I said, it gives you a really good idea, especially when, you know, you've been in the industry for a long time, you can, read those news releases and you can be like, okay, no, that looks, that's exciting, you know, and it gives you a really good idea. So you're absolutely right. Great. So, so John, just kind of from, from the, um, kind of the top down, yeah. you're, you're focused on getting the geophysics done from the, the three projects in the East. There's kind of a budget allocated to that and a timeline. You're making sure that the technical team can do that in, in good order. And that um, also Sean and the drillers are able to kind of advance the projects in um, uh, um, Davidson River. Um, and kind of planning long-term to re-enter into Sundog in the, in, in, in the, in the following year. Is it, are those the kind of the main moving um, objects on your, on, on your chessboard? When we planned out 2022, the goal was um, we had five projects, and all five projects are going to get worked on this year, which is a first for a company. So we started off the year going after Sundog, getting up there, getting our initial program done on Sundog, which was a very good technical and logistical success. Pretty happy about that. The next phase was get over to Davidson River as soon as we can, get in there, get the crews ready, and start drilling in mid-May. We're going to be drilling at Davidson throughout the summer, which is exciting with two drill rigs going with a very good uh, drilling company. And then on the back end of the summer, we're going to get up to the eastern side of our three projects and we're going to get the geophysics done there, get everything lined up so we'll be able to drill that going into 2023. So based on what we've got planned for 2022, 2023 will be even bigger and better than this year. And, uh, you know, where does that leave us as far as, uh, you know, finances go? Look, these things all take time and they cost money. And we've got to continually as an exploration company, as you know, we're constantly raising money and and allocating funds to the right projects. But at the same time, um, not trying to uh, dilute our shareholders too much. So we're looking to really prioritize where those those funds are spent and trying to really, um, really engage with the right type of shareholders that we know are going to be long term with us and understand our our, our vision for where we want to go with this. And at the same time, we're also looking at at other partners in uh, in Canada and in the U.S. of us for some other projects that might be very exciting for our team to get involved with. Now, I will say our exploration team is being recognized as one of the top growing, um, talented technical teams, and we're getting other companies who don't have as um, as many geologists or strong geologists to partner with us to get us asking us to do work on some of their projects. So that is exciting. So we are looking at other opportunities going into 2023 as well. So watch for uh, news on that in the future. 
Well, guys, thank you so much. I've, I've learned a vast amount about uh, your company in, in, a, in a very short space of time. Um, no pressure, Sean. Um, you've just got to hone those targets, get those, that, those uh, we'll accept uh, two or three discoveries um, <laughs> out, of the, out of the top 5% or out of the top five. Um, but, you yeah, know, that's a um, hugely exciting um, drill program coming up on um, Davidson River on the flagship. So that'll, that'll be great. It's wonderful. And it's a fantastic time for new investors to hear our story and figure out that, uh, you know, we've got an incredible opportunity here to make a high grade discovery and for a company of our size to make a, a potential, you know, Arrow 2.0 would uh, be a huge, a huge win for shareholders. It certainly would. Um, gentlemen, um, really nice meeting you and talking to you uh, over the dreaded Zoom, but um, potentially in the future in, in, in person. Um, Good luck with your work programs during the course of uh, 2022 and uh, success this year. And may it bring, uh, lead on to an even better 2023. That sounds great. Thanks for taking the time to uh, hear our story, Merlin. And I look forward to uh, hopefully meeting you in person in London uh, when I'm over there for the uh, WNA in September. So hopefully you're, you're around. Great. I'll be there. All right. Take care.